BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Shall I take your order or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Hi, folks. How are you? Great to be back. Rush Limbaugh and the EIB Network. And it seems like forever since I've been here. But I'm back now, and it all feels normal. It's great to be here. Dire circumstances out there, but still, nevertheless... um, feel like I'm where I should be. Great to be here. 800-282-2882 is the number if you want to be on the program today. Uh, just a little update on me. You might notice my voice uh, a little strange. It's not. It's just it's from lack of use. Uh, I'm actually feeling better than I have in about a month. Uh, I'm actually feeling what I would call normal prior to all of this. Uh, the cancer diagnosis happened. And I'm in a temporary hold right now. I had dire, dire, dire reaction, uh, side effect reaction to the uh, type chemo I was on. The bottom line is I couldn't walk for three days. My leg muscles had swollen to the – it was hideous. It was just – it was hideous. Blood clot in the left calf. Even had some eye damage in my right eye. And so I had to go off the stuff, and I'm in a temporary hold right now. Steroids – have been administered to um, undo the damage, and they're working like a champ. And so uh, regardless how my voice sounds, to be confident here that I'm feeling better than I have in a long, long time. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you all on the phones. Now, I mentioned that um, these, these are dire circumstances. This is such a uh, – it is a narrow channel to navigate here because I have so many conflicting thoughts on this. On the one hand, there is no doubt, there is no question how serious this is. In fact, I'll tell you, I, I think that the medical experts are scared to death because I don't think they have a handle on it yet. For example, they told us that the primary the number one most vulnerable group of people were people that have pre-existing conditions, uh, lung disorders, uh, lung issues existing, uh, elderly, infirm. And now we see people of all ages 
who are healthy uh, coming down with the disease, and some of them are dying from it. We have uh, other news of healthy people getting it and overcoming it. Uh, And without too much suffering, people getting better in three to four days, in some cases, some cases less. Now, to me, ladies, the the most important story out there, aside from the media, media continues to be a gigantic obstacle to this. And I realize, too, by the way, that there are many of you listening today for the first time ever, many of you listening for the second or third time, many of you hearing me for the first time today. And it's uh, it's going to be a shock to some of you. But most of you who have listened for the duration of this program for a long time are up to speed. You have the context. You understand uh, when I say things that are incrementally added to things I said previously last week, two weeks ago, a month ago. So bear with me as I try to uh, maybe be redundant, get as many people up to speed as possible. The overall belief here is that the American media is opposed to the success of Donald Trump. That's an overall umbrella under which many of my comments will be made today. There's no question about it. It's not arguable. It is on display each and every day. The, the, the American media is doing everything it can to prevent the president from looking good and from even succeeding uh, in this And I'll have evidence for it as the program unfolds before your very eyes and ears. Despite that, the American people are strong and resilient and are coming together. And this is going to be in our rearview mirror at some point. We are going to get past this. We're going to get through this because we always do. We have always overcome challenges like this. You can read about the 1918 Spanish flu. You can read about any of the other epidemics. Do you realize in the 1918 Spanish flu, more people died from that flu than in World War I? The president in 1918 was Woodrow Wilson. Do you realize he never shut down the government? He never used the government to address the disease at all? He never made one statement about the disease? In 1918, he focused everything on defeating Germany in World War I? Now, we were a different country then, uh, but we overcame it. The American people came together as they are coming together to overcome this in ways that we haven't yet seen because they haven't yet been reported. But the bottom line is that nobody wants this. Nobody wants this. Everybody wants the baseball season to kick up. Everybody wants the NBA season to finish. Everybody wants to get back to normal. And that desire and that attitude is what is going to help propel this. Now, you might, well, how's that going to overcome the virus? Well, aside from the media story today, which is an ongoing story, the story of the day to me is the success of this malaria drug. It is succeeding everywhere it's being deployed. We're just not being told about it, and it's kind of curious to me. But it is having overwhelming success in reducing the length of time that people are suffering. It is reducing the intensity of the symptoms in the vast majority of people who are given the drug. The Wall Street Journal even has a story about it today. Uh, And the FDA has given emergency approval to use these drugs these anti-malaria drugs to fight the coronavirus. The FDA on Sunday, that's yesterday for those of you in Rio Linda, gave doctors emergency permission to use the anti-malarial drugs. 
hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine itself to treat the coronavirus. The FDA's action allows the medicines to be distributed and prescribed by doctors to hospitalize teenagers and adult patients with COVID-19 as appropriate when a clinical trial is not available or feasible. Now, the one of the reasons why I think it's not being reported as successfully as it is is because there simply hasn't been enough time that the drug has been in use. Medical people are very worried they uh, are premature in pronouncing anything a success after a clinical trial of any drug. Now, this drug has been used for 50 years to fight malaria, so it's it's legal and it's cheap. A prescription of this stuff is 20 bucks. And they have been administering it to patients successfully. What they don't know is, are there any late developing side effects? Does the coronavirus reoccur in these patients after a period of time? So they have to be, I'm guessing here, I'm just using intelligence guided by experience, that they have to be judicious in uh, in talking about this. I think a lot of people are administering the drug. I think it's being prescribed and given to a lot of people. And it's, to me... Uh, one of well, it's the story. The CEO of the company, the single most important hard to find story regarding the pandemic, is news regarding chloroquine and the treatments. And I think they ought to be front and center. The chief executive officer of the company that manufactures the drug naturally is saying that it's the biggest hope against the coronavirus. The company is Novartis. And uh, said that his uh, generics units, malaria, lupus, and arthritis drug, hydroxychloroquine, is the company's biggest hope against the coronavirus. The Swiss newspaper. The Wall Street Journal story is this. In the fight against COVID-19, though we might look forward in doom, one day we might look backward in awe. In an article last week, this is a column in the Wall Street Journal. In an article last week, I discussed a promising drug combination to treat the disease. There is now new data supporting the treatment. Since then, Kansas City area physicians, including Joe Brewer, Dan Hinthorne, and me, continue to treat many patients and have shown improvement. Major medical centers, including University of Washington and Mass General in Boston, have added hydroxychloroquine to treatment options. So here's an update, a response to some questions that have come up and suggestions based on the latest information. Now, this is the malaria drug that Donald Trump, President Trump, suggested might be helpful. And I think it's one of the reasons why in mainstream media there is not so much reporting about this. This really is hideous. I mean, you may think, Rush, come on, be serious. The media, this is too serious thing. The media would not be partisan. All my friends do not think that. The, 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 the media, they've thrown everything they have at Trump and they haven't been able to sink him. And they think this may be the best opportunity they've had. Look what's happened to the economy. It is stunning how quickly this has happened. It's stunning how three years of economic growth has been wiped out. And they are eager to lay this at Trump's feet. They are misreporting Trump's lackadaisical attitude about the coronavirus back in January. It's the exact opposite of the way they're reporting it. Let me give you an example of fake news just today. CBS News aired footage 
of an Italian hospital during a segment about New York hospitals. This was done on purpose. This was to frighten people in New York watching news coverage of the coronavirus situation in New York City. The story was broken yesterday by Gateway Pundit. CBS News painted a dire picture from New York City in their coronavirus coverage. On Wednesday, they aired footage from a New York hospital, but it actually is Sky News footage from inside an Italian hospital from uh, Sunday, March the 22nd. Now, the implications of this are big. If, if, if people in New York think the hospitals are full, and if they think they're packed with sick people, they may decide not to go to the hospital. And this is not good. And it, it just, it's, it's classic uh, uh, media behavior in, in this era. But it is undeniable that the media and the left, which is one of the same, see an opportunity here to do damage to, uh, to President Trump and his reelection uh, in, uh, in November. It's, I don't know, folks, it's, uh, it, it, a lot of people don't want to believe that. A lot of people think that that's a, a bit extreme to uh, think this is the case. But you know, you've seen, maybe you haven't, there have been stories about the mainstream media debating amongst itself whether or not to cover the daily briefings the president and the medical team give. The reason for that is that they don't think the president should be seen unmediated, meaning he should not have direct access to the American people because he's he lies and he doesn't get things right and the media needs to fact-check and correct him. So they have tried to... To, to arrange it so that he doesn't get live coverage. But Fox, of course, is, and, and many uh, many others are. Chris Cuomo, Fredo Cuomo on, on CNN last night, uh, basically accused Trump of hoping the elderly die because of something Trump said in his press conference yesterday. So Fredo Cuomo said, yeah, the president, he's willing to sacrifice elderly people to save his economy, to save his reelection. Really? Who was it that told a woman to give her 100-year-old mother a pain pill and let her die happy? Because the American health care system couldn't take into account the will to live. As I recall, that was Barack Obama on ABC News during a one-hour promotional piece for Obamacare back in 2010, 2009, forget which. Don't need the soundbite cookie. Got enough soundbites. Don't need it. Just So these, they, they, they're, they're, there is um, an undeniable effort here to try to damage the president. I don't, it's, it's not, it's not going to succeed. But the problem with it is, is that it, it, it hurts the overall esprit de corps uh, that the country needs right now. And, you know, folks, stop and think. If, if we've heard about politics ends at the water's edge and we've heard that uh, we can say whatever we want about our leaders, but somebody in a foreign country, you can't. We'll come together to defend our president, defend our leaders, defend whatever when they're under attack from afar. If not even this can unite. Dare, dare I even mention Pelosi? And the Democrats and the stupid attempt to ram madcap socialism into the bailout package, which is itself an entirely 
self-contained topic to discuss. But if not even this can bring the warring factions of this country together, then what the heck can? I think the American people will do it on their own. I think the American people are going to come together. I think the evidence is all over the place. The president's uh, briefing yesterday, I thought yesterday, was fascinating on a number of levels. Uh, And among them was the uh, illustration of the joint effort for the supply chain to continue and to work, the insurance companies canceling or foregoing their co-pays. There are a number of uh, American industries and individuals who are doing everything they can to keep as normal a set of circumstances for people to live in as they can. The electricity has to stay on. The electricity has to stay on. The Internet has to stay up and running. Trash collection has to happen. All of these things. The, 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 you know what's fascinating to me? One of the things, so many things are fascinating. If you look at the, if you look at the work that is often derided in this country as uh, hayseed, hick, unsophisticated, guess what kind of work we couldn't survive without? Exactly that. We couldn't survive without our farmers today. And they are routinely impugned and laughed at and made fun of because they live out in the country and because they vote Republican. We couldn't survive without our truckers and our over-the-land distribution centers. We couldn't survive without grocery store. We couldn't survive without the people that put the stuff in the grocery store. We couldn't survive without pharmacies. We couldn't, we couldn't survive without Big Pharma today. Every industry that is targeted or held out as an enemy. Hey, Siri, stop. My HomePod lit up there. It's still lit up. Got to go to a break anyway. But all of these industries that, that, that are routinely targeted as, as Hayseed Hick or... Uh, what have you, we are seeing what really is vital. We are learning what we actually can't do without. And it isn't the media, and it isn't a bunch of white-collar people right now. I mean, they can work from home, and we don't even miss it. I got to take a break. Be back in just a second as I try to fix what's wrong with the home pod. Don't go anywhere. Greetings. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh here on the cutting edge of societal evolution at the EIB network. Uh, and, and and I just got an uh, email question. Are you, are you, have you put a mask on the golden EIB microphone? No, there is no mask on the golden EIB microphone. Uh, we're not going to replicate uh, way back in the early days when we put a condom on the microphone to illustrate safe talk and the folly of uh, safe sex. Uh, but 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 no, I, I, I don't want to muffle the sound of my voice, uh, ladies. Otherwise, I'd put the mask on. If, I, if there were scientific evidence that a mask on the microphone would protect you, then, of course, I would do it. But no such uh, scientific evidence uh, exists. Um, I'm going to get to the uh, to the phones as soon as we come back from the break here at the bottom of the hour. The uh, a lot of people want to weigh in on this. 
And I realize that there are thousands of you who have been dying to talk to me and ask me questions for the last two weeks and have not been able to. And today is your golden opportunity to uh, to have access. But so we'll get to the phone sooner than we uh, usually do. But it, you know, I, I, I sit here and marvel, folks, at how little time it has taken to wipe out three years of American economic growth. And the Chicoms are saying no new cases in Wuhan, and they've opened up the wet markets selling that food that caused this. I am told by people who have taken a drug that I have been mispronouncing uh, the word hydroxychloroquine. The American pronunciation is chloroquine. So I stand corrected. Chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. If I slip up and say chloroquine, it's simply I'm pronouncing it properly. The Americanized pronunciation, chloroquine, I'll, I'll, I'll eventually get it, uh, get it right. Greetings and, uh, and, and great to have you back. By the way, folks, here's, here's just an example of some of the innovation that's taking place. out. Also, do you realize for the first time since 1940, there is not a single American automobile being made on the assembly line today? Everything has been converted to other products, such as ventilators, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, masks, you name it. We are not manufacturing a single automobile. But there are plenty on the lots out there as you, as you drive by, if you're allowed to leave your home. Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, doing a great job. 60% approval rating has just shut down South Florida. Governor DeSantis has just issued a stay-at-home order for the counties of South Florida, including Palm Beach, Miami-Dade, Broward. Just happened. But here's an example of some of the innovation out there. The Mercedes team and academics at University College London took just four days to produce the first CPAP device, continuous positive airway pressure device, 100 of which are now going into clinical trials at a hospital in North London. Uh, This is to um, supplant or uh, aid the uh, ventilator business. Um, What CPAP does for those, I have one, and I'll tell you what, I've I've thought that if, uh, if I should ever succumb to this disease or get it, the first thing I would do is put the CPAP machine on. It just blows air through your system. Line. You keep your mouth open, and, and it, 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 it just ventilates. It's for people to have sleep apnea. And uh, if you, you, know, you stop breathing 15, 20, or more times a minute, the CPAP machine is designed to prevent that. It, it, is, it is, as it says here, it's a continuous positive airway pressure. So it's a quasi quasi-ventilator, and the Mercedes team, University College, uh, have taken just four days to produce one that would not be the the kind that you would get for sleep apnea. This would be a smaller unit that would just force air in, not nearly as uh, sophisticated in terms of programming and how it can deal with the stopping breathing, because that's not the... Uh, not the not the problem. Now, here's the, here's the, the story out of Wuhan... I, does anybody believe this? 
The Chaikam city of Wuhan, where the coronavirus was discovered, reported no new cases for a sixth straight day. There was a decline in infections for a fourth consecutive day across mainland communist China. Only 31 new cases on Monday. Now, w- w- something here is, is not making sense to me. This is where it began. It began in December. We are here in the, at the end of March, and they're telling us that it's over in China. No new cases. No new infections. Everything's open. The Apple stores in China are open, for example. The Apple factories, the Foxconn factories producing Apple products are open in China. The epicenter, where it began. We now have more cases here than they had in China. So, so no, I'm not... What I'm suggesting is that Chaikoms are not telling us the truth about what's going on in China still. Don't misunderstand. I am not, I'm not, no, 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 not, not, I'm not suggesting some kind of evil plot, not yet. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just, I, this is, if, and if it is true, if, if it's over in, in China, then, then how did they do it? We will never know. Because it's a communist country, and I'll tell you what I think. If it, if it actually is over in China, you know what they did? They they went and grabbed people out of their homes, and, that t- and they put them somewhere and left them to die. They put them in camps. They put them in, in the ground. They put them somewhere. The Chinese communism cares so little compared to a system like ours about our people. I don't tell the truth. Uh, there was video of families being dragged out of their homes early on in Wuhan. Uh, we didn't know anything about them, sick, healthy, what have you. Uh, but if, if, they've got this, if they've got this under control, it's because they have been willing to take measures we never would. Because this is a serious thing. I mean, this is... This is uh... So I just, I don't, I don't know if I believe these stats coming out of, uh, out of Wuhan... The coronavirus discovered there reported no new cases for a sixth straight day, a decline in infections for a fourth consecutive day. Only 31 new cases reported today. COVID-19 cases surged past 724,000, a death toll topped 34,000 by early Monday, according to the John Hopkins data and the website. Italy has reported more than 10,700 deaths. And now we're being told that New Orleans is a new Italy. According to the dry, because they went and did Mardi Gras down there and they did it in, um, with fearlessness. Okay, to the phones, as promised, we're going to start with Renee in Cincinnati. Renee, so great to have you on the program and talk to you today. How are you doing? Rush, it is so wonderful to hear your voice. You sound fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. I can imagine how reassuring it is. It is to me, too. It absolutely is. Um, Hey, Rush, I just wanted to comment on, um, you know, the press conferences that the doctors give. I think if they were more forthcoming, even about things they don't know, and I realize that sounds uh, paradoxical, um, I think it would go a long way because reasonable people still don't see the numbers supporting 
the measures that are being taken to the degree that they are. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and I, you're, 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 and I, eh, eh, go ahead. Yes. And I, I think that it also has a lot to do with, um, I've heard a lot of criticism about our seasoned citizens not taking this as seriously as they should, and just in some areas. And my response to that is because they're not sissies. I mean, no one wants to get sick. We're all following the guidelines. We're doing what we need to do. We're all protecting our older people and our most uh, vulnerable with underlying conditions. But, Rush, our older people have been through everything from smallpox to polio, all the things for which we're vaccinated now, but, you know, they used to kill people. They've been through the Great War, the Great Depression, Vietnam, World War II. I mean, you know, these aren't, these aren't people who haven't weathered storms. And I, I don't think we give them enough credit for that. All right. Now, you've, you've, look, you brought up two different things. You, you brought up the, uh, the seasoned citizens and uh, whatever is being said about them. And you've also essentially what you brought up is modeling. You're you're upset yeah. with you're upset with the doctors for these uh, wild ass numbers here that we don't seem uh, don't see verified in the real world. We're talking hundred thousand could die, two hundred thousand could die, two point two million could die, and yet we don't see anything like that yet. And you're wondering what do they know that they're not telling us? And if they would just tell us, then everything would be a little bit better because we wouldn't have to speculate about what they're holding back because that creates. What do they really know? How bad is it really that they're not telling us because they're afraid of a full-on panic? Is that what your thinking basically is here? Yes, pretty much. I mean, thinking reasonable people are actually coming to the conclusion of there's got to be something we don't know. Now, why? What do you, what, what, why are you saying that? Well, because the numbers don't support the measures being taken. They don't yet. They don't yet. That's correct. But, I mean, ironically, they win either way because, you know, I mean, I, I hope that, that I'm right and, and you know, this goes quicker than, than anticipated. All right. Um, well, but- look, let, 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 me, let me weigh in on this very quickly. I appreciate the call. Thanks very much. I, the, the minute I hear anybody start talking about models and modeling, I, I, I blanch and I have to fight an immediate bias against it. And the bias I have against modeling is justified because it comes from climate change. Sorry to introduce another subject here, but folks, the the whole subject, the whole topic, the whole business of climate change, everything you think you know about climate change is based on models. There's not a single scintilla of data yet to back up these outrageous claims of rising sea levels by 2050, by 2030. It's only in the models. The melting glaciers. We know of the fraud in Al Gore's movie with the fraudulent pictures about supposedly melting ice for the polar bears. We got more ice at the poles than we've had in a long time. It's modeling. And so the, and, and it's political. The left has politicized everything in order to advance their political agenda. And the reason why climate change predictions are 20 years out, 30 years out, is because it isn't happening. 
Man-made climate change is not. Climate change is happening. The climate changes constantly. The earth is constantly changing. The universe is never static. The debate about whether man-made climate change is the reason uh, American-made climate change, I just, I've never bought it for a whole host of reasons I'm going to bore you with now. But it's, it's, it's all modeling data. And it's, it's no different than garbage in and garbage out. So we have a bunch of people here in the medical community and the National Institutes of Health and so forth who are data-driven. It's their business. And they are using models to give us these numbers. Dr. Fauci on CNN this morning, I wouldn't be surprised to see 100,000 deaths. I wouldn't be surprised to see 200,000 deaths. Yesterday at the, at the briefing, the number 2.2 million deaths was used. But it's no longer an active number. It should not have been used. That's a number if we did nothing. That's a number if there weren't any social distancing. That, that wasn't if we didn't shut anything down. That number, 2.2 million, is irrelevant now because we are doing things. We are social distancing. We are staying at home. We are sheltering in place. So the 2.2 death number is up there as a, as a, as a top-tier outlier now sort of as a baseline where everybody can say we've been successful when the actual numbers are known and come in. But this, I'll give you an example when we come back from the break from modeling, and I talked about it a little bit in my very limited time here on Friday. Niall Ferguson in the U.K., his original projection of death in the U.K. was massively high, and he made one change to it. Because it was outrageous. It was, it was millions of people dead in the U.K. from coronavirus. And then he factored, okay, what happens if we socially distance? Just one input data difference, and it reduced the death toll in his own projections, in his own model, by a factor of 50. 20,000 maximum death toll U.K. in his model now. I give you the details to come back from the break. Hang on and don't go away. I got I to get this call. I got to get this call. I got to get this call before we go further. I'll have all the details on the, uh, on the revision of the, of the models for the coronavirus in the U.K. Hang tough. Here's Fred in St. Louis. Great to have you, Fred. I'm glad you waited. You're on the EIB Network, your big showbiz break. Thank you very much. Uh, Rush, I don't understand. Maybe you can explain it a few minutes ago. You, you were so upset with the media uh, saying that they want the president to fail, they want him to, to not succeed. But it was okay for you when Obama became president on air, you wished and hoped he would fail. Are you serious? What, what, are serious. you, Why is it okay for you? Are you actually okay serious with this? Why is it okay for because you? Because I refuse to believe you don't know the difference. I did not want America to fail. I wanted Obama's policies to fail so that America would not be damaged. I did not want socialism to succeed. I think I've been borne out. I did not want Obama's policies to succeed. I wanted Obama's policies to fail. I made this abundantly clear. I wanted America to survive the Obama administration. Let me give you this. Let me put something in perspective for you. The media is literally hoping Donald Trump fails here. 
The media is literally hoping that this ends up electing Democrats to the White House and the Senate. The media is hoping that Donald Trump stumbles. They have been trying to trip Donald Trump up ever since he won the election, November 2016. And in the process of hoping Trump fails, they are hope that, that the country has to fail if Trump fails. You know this as well as I do. I'm actually glad you called. Give me a chance to react to it. But let me put this in perspective for you. Because I think Donald Trump ought to wear this as a badge of honor. It took a worldwide pandemic. It took a 35% plunge in the stock market. It took six feet of social distancing. It took quarantining. It took many small businesses closing. It took canceling practically everything to bring the USA economy back to the Obama high mark. That's the way to look at this. In three weeks, or however long we've been doing this, it's three months, we have wiped out three years of an economic expansion unseen in the lives of most Americans today. Most Americans alive today have not seen the economic expansion we experienced beginning in 2016, 2017. And it's been undone. And if that economic expansion had not happened, if we had not seen that massive economic expansion and growth, and then this same virus hits, we would be on the verge of recession depression today, folks. Now, if Obama had failed, Americans would have thrived. That was my whole point. I'm a little long. We'll take a brief break again. Hang on. Don't go away. Now, to all of you on hold on the phones out there, you're all great. I'm, uh, I've got the roster in front of me here. Please stay. Please stay there. We'll get to you as quickly as we can. Today, as the program unfolds before your very eyes and ears, Rush Limbaugh here behind the Golden EIB microphone at the one and only excellence in broadcasting network. And the revision on the modeling in the U.K. coming up, so hang in there, be tough. Hey, greetings to you, music lovers, thrill seekers, conversationalists all across the fruited plain. Time for yet another exciting excursion into broadcast escalators hosted by me, one and only Rush Limbaugh here behind the Golden EIB microphone. It's great to be here with you. And it's also, folks, it is impossible to discuss everything out there. I haven't been here in I don't know how many days. What is it, eight or nine? It's simply going to be impossible to get everything discussed today, but nobody's going anywhere. So just sit there and be patient, and you will eventually have my uh, my thoughts on practically everything about this. Um, Mr. Snurdly is trying to goad me into talking about the bailout package. He asked me during the break, so what are you going to do with your big stimulus check? Folks, I don't, I, I don't have any idea how big my stimulus check is going to be. I don't know how big yours is going to be. And I know what Snurdly's trying to do. Snurdly's trying to stir up a bunch of garbage here about what happened to the limits on spending that we conservatives believe in. 
What do you mean a $2.2 trillion? It's like I said Friday. Remember everybody freaked out? The Tea Party came into existence over a $787 billion Obama stimulus. Now we got a $2.3 trillion, which is going to end up being $6 trillion. And Snurdly's point is he isn't going to make any difference. And that ought to tell you something. It ought to tell you how gigantic and ginormous the U.S. economy is. It ought to tell everybody how government cannot provide for people at an economic level expected by the American people. We need our economy up and running. The president's exactly right. This country was not designed to be shut down. And by the way, have you noticed the very party which tells us that all hell will break loose if there is a shutdown, is now encouraging that very shutdown. They're encouraging the shutdown of the government. They're encouraging the shutdown of the American economy. We ought not be shut down. I mean, we've got no choice. Um, but but the, the U.S. economy is, is, is still, in my mind, it's bursting at the seams. And it's just waiting to be unleashed. But I, you start talking about all this, and you, and, and you cannot escape the discussion of what's it going to be like when this is over. We're not gonna, Things are not going to go back the way they were, folks. You understand that. There's going to be a new normal. Government is going to love all these new powers. Government is going to have a fine time. I mean, it's... I know that we've been through these pandemics before, and I know we've been through things like this and, 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 and civil war. Habeas corpus was suspended. All of America's constitutional freedoms were restored. Uh, but we had a major political party trending towards socialism before all this happened. And you see what they did with the bailout package. Pelosi tried to put the green new freaking deal into it, along with every other socialist wish list that they have. So the pressure is going to be enormous on returning the American people's constitutional freedoms. It's it's not going to be the way it was. They're go- and it's it'd be an interesting discussion to uh, to start speculating what will the new normals be, uh, what freedoms did we have that are going to be tougher to reclaim, uh, what what kind of things will people voluntarily give up, because even. When the day comes that we are told this is over, some people are not going to believe that it's over. And there will be an ongoing perpetual fear until there is a vaccine, and that's a year and a half away. And this thing mutates so fast. It it basically is is pneumonia times 10. That's why people with lung issues are so susceptible to this. At at any rate, the, the lesson about the bailout and... The American people are for it. The lesson about the bailout is that no matter how much you print and no matter how much you give away, you cannot replicate American prosperity by giving it away. You cannot print American prosperity at the U.S. Mint. You cannot mail it out to people. It has to be created by economic activity. And it has to be maintained and grown by economic activity. I think on that score, there's a tremendous number of teachable moments. 
that await us after the fear of the pandemic has been uh, overcome. And that'll happen. We will solve this. There will be medicines for it. We have them now. Uh, And there will be a vaccine at some point down the road. But the the health experts are going to keep everybody, I think, frightened toward the top end of, of the worst as a means of keeping people in line with public directives to limit how much uh, destruction, damage, death there actually is this. Now, let me, as promised, before going to the phones, get back to this, because this is really fascinating, folks. And I, I, uh, let me share with you a little interesting fact that I just received from a friend in, uh, in California. California has had one death from coronavirus per 250,000 residents. That is about two deaths per day of the 700-plus who die in California every day anyway. So you have another 700 people in California on average die every day from something in California. Other causes. Right now, the coronavirus death rate in California is one death per 250,000 residents. So two of the 700 deaths that are happening every day in California anyway are related to the coronavirus. Does that strike you as high? Does it strike you as low? Does it shock you and surprise you? To me, that that sounds incredibly, if you have 700 people a day in California who die anyway from, and I don't mean to sound cavalier about it, it's just, we're talking stats here. If 700 people per day die and two of those deaths are from coronavirus in California, does that sound like we have a runaway pandemic in California, the coronavirus, or not? Now, this bounces off one of the calls we got in the previous hour. We had a woman call. Us and she doesn't, she's not sure she believes what she's hearing from Fauci and the rest of the gang. By the way, here is, grab soundbite number six. Here's Fauci. We'll, we'll pray, get into the discussion of the reduction in uh, modeling deaths with Dr. Fauci himself. This was last night in the Rose Garden at the, at the briefing. A reporter said, Dr. Fauci... Can you just share with us your understanding of how bad it will be? Can you just tell us how bad it will be so the American people will be prepared for it? A model is as good as the assumptions that you put into the model. And very often, many of these assumptions are based on a complexity of issues that aren't necessarily the same. So when you give a model, you have the worst extreme, you have the best extreme. Often the worst extreme means that you don't do anything. You just, as we say, let it rip and let it go. If you go to the lower end, that means you've actually mitigated really to the utmost. So what I like to do as a scientist, a physician, a public health official, is to not ignore models, but say, look at the data as it's evolving and do everything you possibly can 
to mitigate that instead of getting overly anxious about the extremes of the model. Well, but that's exactly what we're doing. We're getting overly anxious about the extremes of the model, and we're doing it on purpose. And Dr. Fauci's on TV saying, I can see 100,000 deaths. I can see every city having it. I can see every city affected. I can see 200,000 deaths. And we had the number 2.2 million deaths mentioned yesterday in the briefing. That's if we did nothing, but that number's out the window because we've done a lot. We do social distance. We've shut down everything. So the 2.2 million figure was if we did nothing. So why is it even being used? Well, it's being used so that we can show great success at the end of this. It could have been bad, but look what our work did. But I just, I have, I'm just beyond, I have a, I have an anti-bias when it comes to models because of how they have been used politically to advance agendas. And they are, they are supposedly unassailable because they are said to be science. Science has been corrupted by the American political system. Everything has been as as a means of advancing the left-wing agenda. Now, let me go back to this European model, for example. There's a, a modeler by the name of Niall Ferguson. He's an epidemiologist. He created the very highly often cited Imperial College London coronavirus model. It's been cited by organizations like the New York Times. It has been instrumental in government policy decision-making. And he offered a massively downgraded projection of the potential death toll last Wednesday, and it has not been reported. Ferguson's model, and get this is where the 2.2 million number comes from. Ferguson's model projected 2.2 million people dead in the United States and 500,000 dead in the UK from coronavirus if no action were taken to slow the virus and to blunt its curve. Well, we've taken all kinds of action. The 2.2 million figures out the window now. The model predicted far fewer deaths if lockdown measures were undertaken. You know how much? In the UK, Mr. Ferguson made one change in his model. And that change resulted in a projection of 500,000 dead to 20,000 dead. And it was based on one thing, the inclusion of social distancing. So when he created the original model, guess what he didn't put in? He didn't put in social distancing, people staying six feet away from each other. He didn't put in a number of the business shutdowns and the quasi-quarantines and all that. He just put 2.2 million if we do nothing. Bam, it gets reported. 2.2 million dead in the United States, 500,000 dead UK. Then he goes back. And he adds one item, social distancing, to his own model. And it reduces the 500,000 death figure in the U.K. to 20,000 with just the inclusion of social distancing. And guess what? Up to half of that 20,000 were going to die anyway because people die anyway every day before the coronavirus came along. So just by adjusting one parameter... Social distancing, the researcher got a 50 times reduction in projected death. And I'm t- folks, 50 times in a model is huge. 
the people that deal in climate models consider a five times difference in future warming rates to be the difference between it being a non-issue versus a serious problem. Fifty times is huge. And I'll tell you, this leads to something else that we're going to have. When, when this is all over, when this pandemic is passed, let me tell you what a big question is going to be. Whether we needed to shut down the economy at all. I guarantee you that is going to be a debate. When this is all over, and if this Clarkwin stuff keeps being prescribed, and if the Clarkwin stuff continues to work, and if people who are prescribed this medicine get well sooner, and if there is a much shorter shutdown period than anybody thinks, there's going to be, well, even if there isn't, there's going to be a massive debate over whether we needed to shut down the economy. And then this is going to happen next year. The coronavirus is here. It's like the flu. It's like anything else. It's going to have a seasonal characteristic to it. The difference with the flu is that we have so many vaccines, we can handle so many different mutations of it. We don't yet have any of that on the coronavirus. It's virgin territory. We will at some point. We just don't yet. It's going to come back. What do we do now? Do we shut down again next year? Do we go through this all over again in order to greatly reduce the loss of life? And one of the things I'm concerned about, I don't think we're ever going to get a definitive answer. When this is all over and the debate is, should we have shut down the economy? Was this necessary? You know damn well it's going to be a debate. You know damn well it's going to be a question. And you know damn well people are going to raise it. And what if we never get an answer to it? Because what if we never get the actual data on how many people practice social distancing? How do we know how many people are actually behaving? We can't prove that people are engaging in it. We can only hope that they are and then use the resulting data that we hope is positive to tell us that they are. And if, when this is all over, and the question starts being asked, was it necessary to shut this economy? Was it necessary to do everything we're doing? There are going to be people who are going to tell you no, it wasn't. I don't know who they are. I mean, I just, I know statistically they're going to be, but this wasn't necessary. All this stuff is, uh, is in our future. And all of this stuff is going to keep our culture and society roiled to an extent. And if it is determined that it wasn't necessary to shut down this economy, then you realize the questions that's going to spawn. Well, then who did it and why and for what purpose? So buckle up, folks. The ride is actually just beginning. Phone calls next. Hi, welcome back. Rush Limbaugh. Let me tell you one more thing about this modeling business, folks. And this... The fact that this researcher in the UK could make a reduction of 50 times in his own model proves the worthlessness of the model. But that's not the problem. If you have a model like this guy Niall Ferguson created that shows 2.2 million deaths in the United States, 500,000 deaths in the UK, if you do nothing, and then you go make one change, social distancing. And it reduces your number by 50 times. That is extreme sensitivity. 
That means that the people that run these models can have them say whatever they want to say down the road. And they are experts because they are scientists. They will be able to prove anything based on their modeling assumptions if they can change them willy-nilly to get a 50 times reduction or, in, in some case, 50 times worst-case scenario. We're going to be prisoners to these models because these people are going to be the experts and they can now tinker with them however they want. This guy's admitting that the input data was random and subjective. He creates a model that shows 2.2 million dead in America, 500,000 dead in the UK. The media runs with it. The number's out there. You can't take it back. He makes one adjustment to it. What if he what if he put another adjustment? What if he what if he adds um, shutting down uh, the country for a month? What if that reduces the number of deaths down to 10,000? Well, why didn't he? He just put in one little change here. Now you people use models for economic forecasts and they are experts and we are treated to the data in the in in weekly economic news reported by the drive by me you would not believe how much of the news on economics and weather and climate is based on modeling projections not actual real data for example in the climate change world there isn't any evidence yet that any of the projections in the models has yet come true now You're going to have people tell you that Rush Limbaugh is full of it saying that. But temperatures are not rising through the roof. Sea levels are not rising. We're not losing none of what they're projected. The polar bear population, all of the things they've used to scare you and your kids, none of it has yet come true. And they've been predicting this stuff since the 1980s, folks. And they keep revising their projections with their models for another 20 years out, another 30 years out. They have gotten control of the economic agenda. They've gotten control of the manufacturing of automobiles. They've gotten control of all kinds because of these models that they are using to predict doom and destruction in the climate. Now they have been given expert status when it comes to health issues. Katie barred a door. Greetings. Uh, welcome back. El Rushbo executing assigned host duties flawlessly. Zero mistakes. There never are. Any mistakes made by me on this program. And by the way, <clears throat> you people on hold, hang on, we're coming right to you. I just, one more thing to say about models. It's undeniably true, and it's one of the things that frustrates me about them. The doomsayers always win. Do you realize this? The doomsayers always win in a psychological sense. What do you mean, Rush? Well, let me explain it to you. I'm glad you asked. If it's bad, if it is as bad as they say, They will say, I warned you, I told you it was going to be 100,000 dead, 200,000 dead, I told you. If it isn't as bad as they say, if it doesn't end up being as bad as they predict, they then say, it's only because we warned you to do what was necessary to avoid the threat. They are never wrong. The doomsayers are never wrong. They always win. They've got an answer for everything. The realists... Like me, I'm the mayor of Realville. I am Mr. Literal. This program is Realville. I am the mayor, governor, president, whatever. I'm an optimist. I can't help it. I have the optimist gene. We never win. 
up against the doomsayers. If the realists and the optimists are wrong, then what are we? We are uncaring murderers or worse. We are people with no compassion. If we are wrong when we say it ain't going to be that bad, folks, get a grip. If the realists and optimists like me are right... We still endangered lives with the recklessness of our prediction and were saved only by those who knew their data was false and scared them into acting crystal. So if, if I were to come along and say, this is a hypothetical capital H, capital Y, capital hypothetical. If I were to say today, this shutdown is not necessary. I am not saying it, but if I were, I'm giving a hypothetical example. If I were to tell you that I don't think anything we're doing here is as drastically necessary. If that turned out to be right, the doomsdayers would still say that I was reckless and that I endangered lives. And that lives were saved only by the doomsayers who warned everybody not to listen to the optimists. And that's why modelers, I don't care whether it's health models, whether it's climate models, economic models, they always play the doom card. They always play the worst case scenario card and they never lose. The people who lose are those who've had their livelihoods ruined because of the doomsayers. But boy, you contradict the doomsayers. I don't think it's this bad. I don't think 100,000, 200,000 people are going to die. Who are you to dispute Dr. Fauci? Who are you? What do you? Well, I'm an eternal optimist and I just don't believe him. Well, I'm, you're, you're, that's recklessly endangered. So you can't say it. The optimist and the realist has to shut up. Seeding the argument to the doomsayers. And that's where we are here. And that's what I don't like about this. The doomsayers are ruling the roost. And who's to say that they're right? They don't know. All they've got are their computer models and their media-biased headlines to scare the hell out of everybody. They could be right. But what if they're wrong? Well, that's, they never are. They will get credit for having warned everybody in advance. The fact that the economy has been shellacked and destroyed. Uh, insignificant byproduct to the saving of lives. Okay, to the phones we go. This Jefferson, Wisconsin. Steve, I'm glad you waited. You're up next. Hello, sir. Rush, I've been able to watch a few of the press briefings that they've had and the one on last night. And as an American, I am so disgusted with them people. Uh, they don't care to learn anything that's going on with this disease or anything. They don't want to listen to the doctors. All they want to do is sit there and hopefully try to get President Trump on some kind of a gotcha. That's all they're in there for. And it was just absolutely disgusting listening and watching them people. This president is managing every aspect of our lives, of this country. There isn't enough brain cells in that press pool to manage a sidewalk lemonade stand. It is just absolutely horrid what they do to this man well now in in this in this you're right but this is not unique press behavior the press other other than obama that would never do this to obama did this to george w bush all the time the one one member of the press yeah do you think it was a mistake president trump to blah blah 
there was an there was a press conference of an hour and fifteen minutes with George W. Bush in his first term, where the, every question, why won't you admit you've made mistakes? They never ask Obama to make a mistake. They never ask him to admit a mistake. So with Democrat presidents, they kind of give him a pass. But but it's not unique to Trump. And the, the, the specific that you're citing, trying to trip up Republican presidents, is is the order of the day. It's the coin of the realm for the drive-by media. And, and you're right, nevertheless. But and what what I think irritates you is that this is a significant episode that this country is going through. This is not a debate. On Social Security extensions or what have you. This is not a, it's a, the usual contentious policy debate. This is about life or death. And they're still trying to trip him up and screw him up. That's, that's what offends you, I think, right? Yes. Well, Russia, Clinton, Ukraine could not take this man down. And the woohoo flu is not going to take him down either. Yeah. Um, he's he's going to come out of this. You mean to tell me you don't believe the polls that show Joe Biden shellacking Trump in 25 counties out there, 25 districts that uh, Trump needs to win? Joe who? <laughs> I, we'll get into, by the way, these these polls, that's another example of how the media is just laughably hopeful here. Uh, Joe Biden isn't beating. Why do you think, why do you think they're having these wet, I'm sorry, why do you think they're having these orgasms over Cuomo? I mean, what what more evidence do you need that they know plugs it in the answer that they're salivating over Cuomo? And by the way, Cuomo does not have a prayer outside of New York. The fact that they need a hospital ship in New York, New York State ought to have hospitals up and running out the wazoo. The population of that state dictate that state is broke. You've got people fleeing that state. If things were in order in that state, everybody would want to be stay because the pinnacle of treatment is supposedly in New York. People would want to stay. They're fleeing. They're trying to get out of there. Hospital shortages here and there. And Cuomo may be doing, well, he was doing some pretty good briefings, but I think even those have now been eclipsed by poor ones. But uh, I look, he's trying his best. Don't misunderstand. But the idea that this guy somehow is the latest magic trick to come along and, and sweep Trump out of office. Not happening. Here is Dr. Philip Canardi in Muskego, Wisconsin. Great to have you, sir. Hello. Hi, Rush. It's great to be on your program. Uh, Rush, um, I uh, have a solution for the ventilator shortage. We need to invest in alternative breathing machines, like one that you mentioned before was CPAP. Uh, but there's one technology out there that's better than the traditional ventilator. It's called the hemolung. The University of Maryland and the University of Pittsburgh already have developed this technology. It's about the size of a fishing tackle box. The difference between using the hemolung and a traditional ventilator is that the hemolung is like an IV or a catheter that goes in the neck down into uh, by the heart. And what it does is think of it as a dialysis machine. It takes out CO2 and puts oxygen in the blood, and it can totally take over the lung function. They use it for lung transplant patients in Pittsburgh and in Maryland. Yeah, well, well, uh, this doesn't sound like something that's even ready for widespread mass production. Well, actually it is. I mean, it, it, it's, um, it's a device that surgeons, anesthesiologists, ER doctors can all put in the catheter. It's called an ECMO catheter. 
that goes in the neck or in the shoulder area. It's hooked up to this device. This device is FDA-approved already. It's called the Hemolung. I encourage you to um, look into this technology because I think that it can uh, be a solution for the shortage of uh, traditional ventilators. The Advantage Lung, uh, the Advantage uh, Rush is that the patient is breathing spontaneously. They don't have to be sedated. They don't have to be restrained to the bed. They don't have to have an NG tube in that feeds them. They have to be sedated for this catheter to be inserted? No, it can be put under, under uh, local anesthesia. I'm the director of the anesthesia department at my hospital. Of course it you can are. Be put, it can be put in uh, under local anesthesia by a surgeon, by an anesthesiologist, or by an ER physician. Then it's hooked into this machine. The machine basically has three components. It has an oxygen tank. It has a filter that converts deoxygenated blood to oxygenated blood and a pump. The machine is basically a pump. It's portable. So these patients can be ambulatory. They can walk around. They can eat. They uh, do not need to be sedated. They do not need to be restrained. It frees up a lot of medical personnel, uh, and this technology has been out there um, since. Well, I have to, I have to tell you, it, it it sounds it sounds fascinating. Here here's my problem. My problem is, and I please don't take this personally, uh, but I can't verify right now. Uh, who you say you are and what you're talking about. Now, we can look into it, and I don't mean to be insulting here, but I also have a a responsibility. This is why I don't preach. It's why I don't pretend to be a doctor on this program and talk about the latest, greatest things, even those things being done to me. I do not talk about them in terms of having mass application. You know, I'm undergoing cancer treatment now, and I recognize some of the things you're saying here uh, regarding catheters and lungs and so forth and so on. And I, I have, I, look, I have no doubt that you're deadly serious, but I, 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 I just, I have a responsibility here to not get hopes up um, and, and to have misinformation spread. Uh, believe me, there are many people that would love to get on this program and send out a bunch of false info and then tie my name to it for the purposes of discrediting me. So I, I just have to be very vigilant, very careful here. As I say, please don't uh, don't take it personally. We will check into your machine and uh, uh, what you say and so forth. I have to take a break looking at the clock. Back with more after this. Don't go away. Half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. Okay. Uh, we, we are back here now. According to the uh, graphic here on the page at the Fox News Channel, we are at 2,575 coronavirus deaths or Chicom flu deaths. So 2,575 American deaths from the China flu. Now, yesterday, yesterday at the briefing, the doctors informed us that the peak is in two weeks. Did I hear that right? They said the peak is in two weeks, just in time for Easter. Do you realize, folks, you may not know this, that this Easter will be the first Easter, I think I heard this correctly, the first Easter in the history of America? 
where churches are shut down and no services will take place other than virtual and online. First ever in American history, 2,575 deaths, according to Fox News up there. The doctors inform us that the peak is in two weeks. And the peak, what did Dr. Fauci say? 100,000 deaths. 200,000 deaths. Did he mean in two weeks? Or did he mean in total when this has run its course? Does anybody think we're going to go from 2,575 deaths on March 30th to 100,000 deaths on Easter Sunday? So what... Well, I mean, maybe you could put the data into a model and have it say that. But that sounds a little little excessive. So what what did he mean by peak? When is the peak? He said peaks in two weeks. He said could be two hundred thousand deaths. He said one hundred thousand could be two hundred thousand. Depends on how well we mitigate. Mitigate means social distance, shutdown, quarantine, shelter in place, all that. Here's Robert in Hartford, Connecticut. Greetings, sir. Great to have you with us on the EIB network. Hello. Greetings, Russ. How you doing? Good, sir. Thank you. Hey, I'm a Hispanic American. I've been listening to you since I was 17 years old. I'm 42. It's truly a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, sir, very much. I appreciate that. I'm going to try to be brief. I work for Hartford Hospital in Connecticut, um, and I heard a lady earlier say that the numbers don't add up. <clears throat> I believe our president has made um, drastic requests for changes throughout the country, and I truly believe that these requests have been followed through by many of Americans. And I also believe even here in the hospital, we've been do- we've sent over hundreds of people to work from home. Um, these numbers or wherever they're expecting to happen or what might happen, we don't know what's going to happen. All we can do is hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Our government's doing everything within their power without destroying the economy. There's a balance that has to be kept with our president in this, in this country. Why? So we can avoid people suffering. So, yeah, he wants to get people back to work. I can understand his desire. I can understand what he's trying to do. We have to work together on this. There's, there's no time for fighting between what do you want, what do you need, we, we should get this, we should get that. No, we know what we need, provide what we need so we can take care of our patients, and um, we can move forward. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't. Um, we're just praying for the best. Thank you for your time, Rush. You bet. You bet. Well said. That's uh, that's Robert in Hartford, long-time Hispanic devotee of the EIB network, self-confessed. Uh, we looked into the hemolung from the, the caller in Wisconsin, and it uh, it is in use, and it, it does work for uh, lung transplants. Uh, so uh, I promise you I'd look into it. And I, I, didn't, I didn't doubt the guy. I could tell he's a legitimate doctor and so forth. I just have to be real careful here, folks. Um, as I'm sure you all understand. Many of you have tried to get through here and put false data on this program linking it to me, but you have been stopped by an aggressive call screener and a brilliant host. You know it happens. We just have to be vigilant for it at all times.
It's the fastest three hours in media, and evidence of that is that the first two are now over, on their way over to the Limbaugh Broadcast Museum at RushLimbaugh.com. We have one exciting, busy broadcast hour remaining. We'll get to it before you know it. With talent on loan from God. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB Network and the Limbaugh Institute for Advanced Studies of Everything That Matter. No graduates, no degrees, because the learning never stops. The telephone number, if you want to be on the program today, 800-282-2882. And we're actually taking more phone calls for a Monday than we usually do. So if you have something you want to weigh in on, get in it. On the, on the line, we have a couple lines that are available even right now because I just deemed a couple of them worthless, told Snurley to hang up on them. 800-282-2882. If you... <laughs> well, they were. <laughs> they were not. They were not. Were not. No, no, they were. I, I can tell. <laughs> I've been doing this for 45 years. You can tell when something is worthless up there before you even take the call. That's why I am on this side of the microphone. Uh, I, folks. I mentioned to you at the beginning of the program that, uh, that the media remains an obstacle here, and they do. And I, you know, we could we could do three hours every day on it. Um, and I I don't intend to do that, but I do want to have uh, you know a little bit ongoing illustration of what I mean, rather than just say so. Now, last Friday, on the twenty seventh of March, about five thirty p.m., ABC News tweeted. The following. 51% of Americans approve of President Trump's handling of the coronavirus outbreak. 45% disapprove. And ABC News Washington Post poll finds. Okay. So that was last Friday. It's a little tweet. Somebody at ABC realized we can't let that be the defining lead story of our poll. So they rewrote the story, and here is the headline. Coronavirus impacts disrupted lives, elevated stress, and soaring worry. Poll. Many report stress, worry over the virus. 77% have experienced disruption. Not a word about Trump's approval number. And that's what the story is. The story is their poll. So they tweet 51% of Americans... The proof of Trump's and a tweet, by the way, at 5.30 on a Friday when nobody will see, you know, document dump Friday. So they get it out there. Then they rewrite the story. And we find out that the polling data is adults. It's not registered voters. It's not likely voters. It's just adults. It's the least informative sample you could report on. This ABC News Washington Post poll was conducted by Landline and Cellular Telephone March 22 through 25 in English and in Espanol among a random national sample of 1,003 adults, not likely voters, not registered voters, not informed voters, not just adults. Results have a margin of error of 3.5 points, including the design effect. The design effect... You mean where you purposely oversample Democrats? Partisan divisions are 30% Democrat, 24% Republican, 37% Independent. Okay. Now, I'll pull a quote from the story. 
In the political arena, President Donald Trump's overall job approval rating advanced to his best on record. In ABC Washington Post polls, 48%, even as 58% say he acted too slowly in the early days of the outbreak. He didn't act too slowly. He acted timely. He started banning flights from China. It was the Democrats who called him a racist and a xenophobe and told him he can't do it. And they fought him on the shutdowns. They fought him on closing the borders. It was the Democrats urging people to go to their parades in New York. It was Democrats urging people to go to their parties. It was Democrats. We've got the audio. It was Democrats telling people there's nothing to see here. It's not a big deal. Go ahead and go to your parade. Hispanic parade, whatever the parades were. Elected Democrats in New York City and the state were advocating people pay no attention to the early warning signs. Trump was the only guy who did, and they called him a racist for it. This is the first time since Trump took office that his approval rating has exceeded his disapproval of his work, 46%, though the difference is statistically insignificant. 51% approve specifically of Trump's handling of the outbreak, 45% don't, and that's the call to arms for the drive-by media. 51% approving Trump on anything is DEFCON 5 for the drive-by media. 51% job approval, 51% approval of the way he's handling a coronavirus, 51% approval of the way he's handling the economy, DEFCON 5 for the drive-by media. Got to get that number down. Here's CNN, Chris Saliza. Here's an indisputable fact. President Trump is as popular today as he has been since his first day in office. It's actually Gallup poll being reported by CNN, very snarky. In a new Gallup poll, 49% approve of the job Trump is doing as president, 45% disapprove. This matches the highest his approval rating has ever been in Gallup surveys. A Monmouth University poll released on Monday showed Trump at 46% approval. Again, the best he's done in that poll in more than three years. What accounts for Trump's rise? Very simple, his response to the coronavirus. And we can't have that. In the Gallup poll, 60% of the American people approve of the job Trump is doing in handling the crisis, while 38% disapprove of how he has been behaving. Six in 10 independents approve of how Trump has done on the coronavirus, as do more than one in four Democrats. In the Monmouth poll, 50% say Trump has done a good job with the coronavirus. 45% say he has done a bad job. And then CNN says, on one level, this isn't terribly surprising. Polling consistently shows a rallying effect around the president when major crises face the country. And they go on to talk about September 11th. But it doesn't mean that they can't try to do something about it. Donald Trump has moved heaven and earth to solve problems. Problems of individual Americans, cities, states, federal agencies. You ask, he answers. And then there's the Democrats. Trump has risen to the occasion. Mike Pence has risen to the occasion. Have Pelosi and Schumer 
risen to the occasion or have they sunk to new lows? They have sunk to new lows, trying to hold the American people hostage while robbing the Treasury on behalf of left-wing interest groups. Are you kidding me? NPR and the Kennedy Center? Give the money back! The contrast could not be more stark. Americans are suffering. The Democrats are trying to profit politically and even financially off the despair. As we know, when left-wing interest groups get money from Congress, they donate it right back to Democrats. It's a money laundering scheme. That's what Planned Parenthood is. Is what union donations are. Glorified money laundering scheme. What do you mean by that, Mr. Well, okay. Let me illustrate it for you. For those of you who are new to the program, the Democrat Party up until today couldn't just walk to the Treasury and write itself a check. A campaign donation. It couldn't do that. So what's the next best thing? You come up with a stimulus plan that bestows billions of federal dollars on who? Your constituents, unions, Planned Parenthood. Take your pick. What do they do with the federal money they've gotten? They turn around and donate a portion of it back to the Democrat Party, to individual Democrats, to the DNC. So you take government money. You put it out to people in a stimulus, you wash it, you launder it, and then it comes back. Not all of it, of course, but a hefty amount comes back to the DNC, the Democrat Party, as a result of money donated to the Kennedy Center, to NPR, the Planned Parenthood group, their related pro-abortion industry people, and, of course, the big unions all over the place. And that's the way the money laundering scheme works. And that's what Pelosi and Schumer were making sure happened when this stimulus package was devised and debated. The Democrats are living in panic right now because, look, folks, common sense is that the American people are not going to change horses in the middle of a crisis stream like this. It's statistically borne out that uh, presidential elections in periods of time like this, wartime, you, you, you don't throw out the incumbent. But Rush, but Rush, what if millions are dying and what if nothing that's uh, working seems to be working and what if nothing tried working because it did Trump will be? Well, yeah, go down the road and, and if, if something like that uh, were to happen. But the Democrats still have to have an alternative. And they don't like the alternative. They don't like Biden. The very fact they're salivating over Andrew Cuomo is proof positive they know plugs isn't the answer. Folks, they don't have anything. They don't have anybody. And Cuomo can't run. Their own rules say that, oh, wait, slap me. <laughs> Democrats and rules. They'll change the rules in midstream if they have to. But Cuomo. If if Cuomo became the nominee, that would once again put the spotlight on Cuomo's actual job as a governor prior to all this, and it's not going to look good. He's he's not he's not their answer. He may be perfectly placed where he is now, and you may not want to Peter Principle the guy. He may be he may be 
perfectly placed for raising governor of New York and giving uh, motivational speeches in the National Guard and things. But in terms of a viable alternative candidate, the Democrat, I mean, it's been pathetic. Whoever is putting Joe Biden out, you know, Biden, they built a TV studio for him in his rec room. And then they sent plugs down to the rec room to brag about how it only took four days to put this thing together and how it's technologically. It was sad. He couldn't stay on topic. Whoever is putting him out there, every family has had somebody go through in their life what Joe Biden's going through, and they can relate to it. And it's the one thing you would never do with your family member going through what Biden's going through is elect them president. You wouldn't even want them nominated. And yet somebody in the Democrat Party is putting him out there. And you know why they're doing it is because Plugs is seen to be like Bob Dole was in 96. He's going to do the least damage down ballot. It's acknowledged that he's going to lose the presidential election. But he may help hold on to, say, the African-American vote for the Democrats down ballot or the Hispanic uh, vote for the Democrats down ballot. And and that's it. They've, they've just, they've just, but man, if there are debates, I don't care if they're virtual debates. Trump, Trump could easily say, I'm not going to debate the poor guy. I'm not going to sit here and participate in the public humiliation of Joe Biden. I am not going to help the Democrat Party ruin this man's reputation. There will be no debates. Because I like Joe Biden. He's a nice guy. He doesn't deserve what the Democrats are doing to him. I can see Trump doing that. Because if there are debates, they're not going to last more than a half hour before somebody throws in a white towel from off camera. And then the CNN ABC people start crying on camera. Hi, welcome back. Rush Limbaugh. Having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. Yes, even during all this, because I'm doing what I was born to do. I am where I want to be and where I need to be. And so are you. I'm glad you're all out there. Here is uh, here's Michael in Tulsa. Welcome, sir. Glad you waited. You're on EIB Network. Hi, Rush. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you, sir. Uh, very, very proud to be speaking with you, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm a, I'm a data engineer um, or data scientist and an engineer here in uh, Oklahoma in the energy sector. Um, and I want to give your guy, your listeners uh, some knowledge and background on, um, you know, data models. And, you know, you hear this in the media all of the time constantly. Well, this model is predicting this and that, and especially it doesn't matter um, the data set. It doesn't matter if it's coronavirus. It doesn't matter if it's global warming. Um, Could be a hurricane track. Yeah, it could be a hurricane track. doesn't matter. It's a model, right? And it's trying to predict something in the future. It's trying to predict, right? And one thing all scientists and engineers know um, that makes models on a daily basis is that all models are wrong. Some are useful. And that's key is that they're all wrong in their own right. Some are useful. Um, and another thing is a lot – they speak of these models as if there are settled science, like uh, like global warming. It's settled science. No, it's not. It, you know, if you torture the data long enough. Yeah, it's a it great point. You. If it's settled science, why keep modeling it? Absolutely. And if, if you torture the data long enough, it will tell you what you want it to say. And that's Can I? 
yet you can look at if you have different parameters, right, different variables that you're making your regression or your different model off of, and you can figure out statistically which ones are statistically significant based off their p-value, and you can adjust them to get the results that you want. You can remove them, add them to get the results you want. So I want everybody, all your listeners, to understand um, that it's just because it's a model doesn't make it true and settled science. That is, that is not fact. And another thing with the global warming, it really irritates me is they put out in the media all of these data models. They say, we're projecting this, we're projecting that. Well, where's the accountability and the validation of the model of the actual data from, well, there can't you know, be. This is a, that's a great. There can't be because their projections are for twenty years out and thirty years out, when a lot of people aren't going to be alive to verify their accountability. Now, that's exactly the science behind this. You know, there there cannot be a consensus in science either. A consensus of scientists. It's not possible. Science is not about consensus. It's not about a vote. It's not about who agrees with who. It's about the empirical data. And a computer model is not empirical data. I'm glad you called, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of us are spending more time at home right now. That kind of goes without saying. Uh, It's mandated in many places. It's required. It's common sense. Bottom line is that more and more people are spending a lot of time at home. And you know what? I have something I want to say about that. Because I saw somebody, you know, well, this is horrible. Our kids don't know what to do. They're going stir crazy. It's a great time to teach them some discipline. All kinds of great things can happen at home. Look, I mastered social distancing years ago. The governor of Florida has put out this edict. People must stay at home through the middle of uh, whatever it is, May. I've already mastered that. I love home. At any rate. Many people are at home right now. And you've got time. I got a note from Professor Hazlett. Professor Hazlett has cleaned out his garage. He feels a sense of achievement and accomplishment, something he would have never done without this. A lot of people are able to take on a project that otherwise would go wanting. You could do that. You could find every old family video, family film, all those great pictures, family get-togethers from long ago that you've had stored for years and years and years and never seen them because the formats are not viable. You don't have Betamax anymore. You don't have VHS. So assemble all that stuff and get it digitally transferred by Legacy Box. Our friends at Legacy Box are ready to help you get this done. They're offering you 50% off the normal price of their service today. Legacy Box has the high-speed gear you need to digitally transfer all that old stuff onto DVD or thumb drive. And they get it back to you in a couple of weeks. What you do, you order the Legacy Box. They send it to you. It's protected so that no damage occurs to your stuff while you're sending it to them. They digitally transfer it. They keep you advised of the process. Two weeks later, they send it back to you. DVD, thumb drive, iCloud download, however you want it. And then you've got it, and you can duplicate it. You can edit it. You can copy it. Give it away uh, to, to other, share it, other members of the family. This is how you bring back to life all the old stuff that's been collecting, and you haven't seen it in years. Start the process today. Order one of the specially made legacy boxes that you will use to ship all of that stuff to Legacy Box in Tennessee. And again, in two weeks, you get it all back. All those tapes... And all the films, Super 8, High 8, Super whatever, the, the 16 millimeter, whatever you've got, VHS, Betamax, they'll transfer it. You'll get the originals back and the digital. 
DVD thumb drive, 50% off at LegacyBox.com slash Rush. Can't do this yourself. 50% off LegacyBox.com slash Rush. You know, you are the second person to ask me. Mr. Snurdly just asked me during the highly profitable, obscene profit break here that we just had. If if I have seen, what is it, Tiger King? It's on Netflix, right? No, I've not seen it. Um, I know that it is the most watched Netflix show in America now. I found that out today. Um, look, I have been in a fog the past eight days. You guys, I, I, I vowed not to become a cancer patient in this program, but I, I was in bed, 103, 104 degree fever, one, well, 103. Uh, <clears throat> I couldn't walk. I, I was in some of the most excruciating pain I have ever, ever been in. And I didn't pick up a computer or or do anything for I don't even know how many days, but I have a vague memory of something Tiger King with some some local weed looking guy sitting next to a tiger is the picture I have in my mind. I don't know anything about the show other than it's supposedly the most popular show in America. I've been watching Ozark because uh, I'm from Missouri. So I've been watching Ozark on Netflix. So I said, I said, somebody, well, isn't this about some guy that's got pet tigers and runs around with them? And uh, yeah, but there are murders. It's it's really, really cool. I said, murders. Okay. So no, the short answer is I've not seen it. Am I missing anything? I am missing. So I should watch. What do you mean? It's sicker than, than Ray Donovan? What do you mean your most sick show? Well, okay, you can't just tell me that. See, this is why you guys are not hosted. I am. They're sitting. It's just twisted. If I were to say this, if I were to describe any show on TV as twisted, the audience, well, what do you mean? And I would have to give some kind of detail. What do you mean twisted? Does something odd happen to the? Now wait. Now wait a second. Does something mad happen to the tigers? Does this guy do something to the tiger? Something. Okay, Tiger King, Netflix. All right, so as soon as I finish Ozark, I think I got three episodes to go. Then I'll tune in and watch Tiger King. All right, well, I'll tell you what I think of Tiger King. Uh, is it the first season? How many? How many? How, the only, how many? The only, how many episodes are there? Six, six or eight episodes. Okay. Are they? Are they forty-five minutes long? An hour long? Do you know? Seems like. Well, now, you guys are sounding like it's an ordeal to watch this, and yet you're telling me that I have to. A train wreck. I think I've seen all kinds of train wrecks. This, this, <laughs> all right. <clears throat> I'm told this tops them all. All right. Well, uh, then fine. I, I'll, I'll, I'll check Tiger King. Is there anything about coronavirus in it? Nothing about it. So it was filmed before the coronavirus. So the tiger doesn't get the coronavirus. I'm like, I'm like okay. Uh, here's Jerry in Atlanta. Welcome to the EIB Network, sir. Great to have you with us. Hi. Hey, Roger. It is great to hear your voice. Thank uh, you, sir, very much. You bet. Hey, quick comment and then question for you. Hey, the essence of numbers and math, it's not to make simple things complicated, but it's more to make complicated things simple. And all these numbers and statistics that we keep seeing and thrown at us, without a perspective or context, they're useless. And so my question to you would be, how come Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks aren't using these numbers and statistics they have and putting them more in context or perspective 
um, each day for the American people well, to better understand. You know, I I <laughs> I don't. I I would have to speculate uh, on on doctors uh, Fauci and uh, and uh, Burks. Uh, I, I know they're data slaves. They live in, and breathe and die by it. And I know that they are they're into their models uh, and all that. And I, and I know that by trade they have to be doomsayers. Um, at the end of the day, they have to be doomsayers. They have to warn of the worst. Uh, you know, whether they enjoy that or not, I, uh, um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, then they're... Here, here. Look, I'm 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 dancing around something here. I I'm on. A, I alluded to this last Friday in the all too brief phone call I made to the program to let you all know I was still alive. I have an I have a building, and an ongoing problem with. We call it the deep state, but whatever it is, this layer of experts in everything, be it intelligence, uh, foreign policy, health, whatever. We didn't elect any of these people, and we're told they're experts and that we must abide, and we have no choice. And I've just seen too much in the past three years— of this large group of people trying to undermine Donald Trump in the 2016 election. I'm sorry, I cannot put it out of my mind. I'm not accusing anybody of anything here. I'm just saying it would be silly to not factor this in. You can't deny intelligence guided by experience. We have seen how this deep state operates. What are you, what are you, what are you grimacing at in there? Do so you think I'm overstepping on this, Snurdly? I'm just sharing my honest heart. A guy asked me a question here. And I, I have seen, on the same token, Donald Trump, President Trump, seems to have profound respect for both these people. So that's, that's fine. I just can't, I can't erase what I've seen from the so-called deep state and the attempt to undermine the entire election of 2016. And I know that we elected Donald Trump to fix stuff like this. We didn't elect these people that we don't know, who weren't not on a ballot, who have not campaigned to us, and who about whom we don't know much, other than their 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 stated and uh, and proclaimed level of expertise in their in their field of expertise. In this case, uh, infectious diseases uh, and uh, overall American health. So it's, this is a danger of hosting a show and being honest. A guy calls you, asks you what you think about something, and bammo. So I, I just, I, he says, well, where, where, where do these numbers come from? These numbers don't, they have no, they have no, we have no perspective, we have no context to these numbers. And I don't know what he means. We have a press conference yesterday, and we're told 100,000, maybe 200,000 people could die. Oh, no, no, 2.2 million people could die. If we don't mitigate, but we did mitigate. They, why did they put that number out there yesterday? The president did too. Why'd they do it? It's unnecessary. The number's not relevant anymore. Nobody is saying 2.2 million, but it's out there now as a high watermark. So it, it's going to be used to show how successful the efforts have been. But 
So we were told 100,000 could die, 200,000 could die. The peak in two weeks, but he doesn't mean the peak death in two weeks. He means total run time. We're at 2,828 deaths right now, according to a little box up there on the Fox News channel. So that means we have, uh, let's see, 80,000 deaths to go, 180,000 deaths to go before this runs its course. And the callers will, based on what? The CDC, if you go to the CDC, you will see the CDC is reporting a decline in deaths. I just saw the chart, but then the CDC says you can't use this yet because we're not, we got, there's a lag time here and the data is not, well then why are you putting anything out if you don't have all the data yet? But you could plot a chart using CDC data today, which shows you the deaths are going down. But nobody believes that. What if it happens to be true? Now, that's why the caller is asking, where is the context? Where is the, where's the perspective on, on, these, on these numbers? Now we've got Governor Cuomo. Grab audio soundbite number 30. Uh, Governor Cuomo is out saying it's what's happening in New York is going to happen everywhere. How does he know this? Now, see, he can say this because he's governor, and nobody's going to say that's irresponsible. But if some guy on the radio starts questioning all these numbers out there and saying, wait a minute, why this, why that? Well, this is irresponsible. Here, here's, here's uh, here, Governor Cuomo this afternoon in New York City. This is a press conference. It's a daily briefing, and this is a portion of it. Anyone who says this situation is a New York City-only situation is in a state of denial. You see this virus move across the state. You see the virus move across this nation. There is no American who is immune to this virus. I don't care if you live in Kansas. I don't care if you live in Texas. There is no American that is immune. What is happening to New York is not an anomaly. There's nothing about it. a New Yorker's immune system that is any different than any other American's immune system. So in many ways, New York is just a canary in the coal mine. What you see us going through here, you will see happening all across this country. Okay, well, the gauntlet's kind of been thrown down there. Now, one thing New York has that not a lot of other places have is the population density. So even before we began the social distancing, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on in New York. There's a lot of close, cramped quarter contact. Uh, how many flight attendants live in your average 800-square-foot studio? Twelve? How many are there at any one time? By the way, you know, if the airlines keep shutting down like this, CNN's going to have absolutely no audience whatsoever. It's one of Hey, did you did you all see the Instagram photo that David Geffen put out? I want to ask you, David Geffen has a $600 million yacht, and he's 8.5 billionaire. DreamWorks, Geffen Music, big time. Sold his house to Jeff Bezos out there for $165 million, whatever. He Instagrammed a photo of this yacht of his at sunset in the Caribbean. In the Grenadine Islands. And he captured it by saying, peacefully escaping the virus on the calm seas of the Caribbean and the Grenadines. 
and the reaction to it was so bad he had to take down his account and cancel the account because people thought it was insensitive and brave. But wouldn't you rather be there than where you are? But then I got to the, would a rich Republican ever do that? Would a rich Republican ever send a photo of where he was on his $600 million yacht, basically saying, look where I am and you aren't? And there's not a rich Republican in the world who would do it. That was fascinating. Cyber criminals, they're all over the place. And by the way, don't believe that maybe uh, analog street crime is down because nothing's open. But cyber criminals do not let this crisis go to waste. For them, this is a perfect time to create bogus online posts about the coronavirus, plant malware, ransomware within your computer. Man, this is such a golden opportunity to scare the heck out of people with a well-written link designed to get you to click on it, which then plants malware on your computer that you might not know about for days or weeks. And meanwhile, the cyber criminal has accessed your online data. Uh, This is a perfect time for you to get Norton 360, that is cybersecurity software. It's an easy-to-use solution to help protect your personal information and data from increasing numbers of online data attacks. Norton 360 includes a VPN, virtual private network, bank-grade encryption. It blocks hackers from even seeing that you are connected. They can't even see your connection, so they can't hack it. There's a smart firewall to block suspicious online traffic and a safe cam to block PC webcam takeovers. Use Norton 360 to protect your devices. You can download the software just one time to activate it, and you do that at norton.com slash rush. That's norton.com slash rush. 50% 50% off. Everybody's making deals today. This is really, really important as everybody is at home and the primary means of communication is online. The numbers of attempts to get into your machine and plant malware on it are going to be multiplying. Get a VPN. Make sure they can't see your connection. Norton.com slash rush. 50% off. Here's Jared in Pueblo, Colorado. Great to have you, Jared. I'm glad you waited, sir. Rush, I've been listening since 87. I was 12 years old. I love you like family. I can't tell you how it warms my heart when your voice comes on the radio. Thank you, sir. I really, really appreciate that, more than you know. I've thought about writing to you, but i got to tell you that in, in person. That's unreal. My, my question is, assuming the country gets back to business this summer, how deep is the damage and how long do you think it's going to take? You know, there are so many screwels of thought on this. So if you listen to the president, he believes that it is chomping at the bit, that it is ready to be unleashed right now, that this economy is almost a living, breathing thing, and that the minute the limits are taken off, that it's going to roar back. And there's a portion of me that believes that as well. I do because I don't think anybody wants any of this. I don't, you know, even if... In this aid package, even if we are paying people more not to work, I think we've been through three years of a roaring economy. People want it. They want the opportunity. They want things back to the way they were. They want the baseball season back. They want the NFL kicking off on time. They they, they want to be able to go outside. They want to be able to congregate once again. On the other hand, 
I don't know if there will be a general unleashing or if it will be staggered. Um, because I don't know how confident the medical people are going to be when they say we're past the worst of it. You know, I, it, 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 there's just too much unknown. I, I, I would hope that there is a a general unleashing of the economy, but something tells me that it's that it's going to be staggered. Uh, and even some of the people chomping at the bit are going to be uh, very precise in making sure they don't strike back too fast because uh, of uncertainty. Anyway, I think overall, though, it's all going to end up uh, good. When is another thing. I think it's going to be good. So great to be back with you today, folks. And uh, looking forward to uh, tomorrow as well. I wish circumstances were different. We all do. But together we make the best of it. We make the most of it. And all things considered, we have it pretty good. Back tomorrow. See you then. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Bix, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports America's greatest heroes, our service members, and first responders who die or are severely injured in the line of duty, as well as homeless veterans. These are heroes we all owe a debt of gratitude to. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responders, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs honor the sacrifices made for us. We're honoring the men and women who risk their lives and bodies for our country and our communities. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America, with over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Not to mention, there are dozens of golf outings and barbecues. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute educates kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, while helping our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean exactly that, free. Switch to Pure Talk today and get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash clay and claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone again puretalk.com slash clay to switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk.